Thank you for joining us for this Freedom Fellowship Extra podcast, where we go beyond our Sunday sermons and make practical Christianity available for you to listen throughout your week. All right, so we're here with Cynthia Roberts today, and we are talking about her most recent trip to India. With your ministry, which is Hosanna Ministry, you take frequent trips over to India. So you just got back. Um, you're still processing, I'm assuming. Yes, um, yes, <laughs> still processing, head still spinning. Um, yeah, I've I've been going for 20 years, and I was called specifically to widow's ministry about 13 years ago. And so this has been slow. It's been a work of patience and uh, trust and faith. I actually lived there most of the time for about four and a half years. And then after I came back this side, I try to go every year, once, once a year. And this mission trip that I just went on, my purpose for it, I had actually intended to uh, begin this three years ago before the pandemic hit. Okay. And I, so this was my first opportunity to go back in three and a half years after COVID. And I ended up getting COVID on the way home. Right. <laughs> but uh, it was good, it was productive. Um, I was able to implement the first um, leg or phase or whatever you want to call it for um, my idea for changing the way widows ministry is done over there. Um, I've always just seen in the past what widows ministry consists of and it doesn't matter who who's doing it. Um, the idea and this is an american idea for the younger widows they want to empower them they want to give them uh, job training so they can work and support their their families Uh, for the elderly women which is where my heart is uh, it basically consists of passing out saws or saris at christmas and saying see you next year Um, and so i I'm trying to change that. Okay. So how did you get involved with specifically the widow's ministry? Well, um, I was called specifically to missions in India 20 years ago, but I didn't know what it would look like because I was divorced, a single parent, and I knew that I wouldn't ever be able to go under uh, traditional roots, and I just kind of waited and about the same time my youngest son was a senior in high school I was at work one evening and a, a man that we used to go on trips with um, he came into where I worked and he just mentioned that he and his wife were praying about how to minister to the widows of India well I'd never thought about it so when I went home that night I googled widows of India and I just started reading everything that came up, and I was obsessed from that moment. And uh, I knew that that was my specific assignment. So there may be somebody out there thinking, okay, what does that call look like? Can you describe what that call from the Lord looked like in, in your life? Well, <clears throat> I think at first it just 
looked like an obsession. And I even asked a friend of mine one night, I said, how do I know? Because I knew that I was, that meant, that I was meant for India. I knew it. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. But I asked her one night, and I, was, I had been telling her about uh, the situation with the widows there. And I said, but how do I know, how do I know if this is really the Lord telling me to do this or if it's just me wanting to go? And she said, oh, Cynthia, I think it's the Lord telling you because when I hear it, I think, gee, that's awful. Tell me how to make out the check. I don't want to go. Right. <laughs> and she said the fact that you want to go, I think, is planted there by God. And I think that he does. He does put in our hearts what he wants what he wants us to do and he also gives us the courage because I was by myself I didn't know uh, like my first trip to go investigate this place that I had located I got off the train without anyone to meet me first time I'd ever ridden an Indian train and you've seen everybody's seen pictures of that Um, and I all I had was the address of my hotel and I didn't speak a word of Hindi, and uh, that takes a lot of guts. <laughs> and I'll tell you just briefly, on the way home from that very first trip, I was, it was God, it was all God. It was, it, I was surrounded by angels the whole time. I was in the plane coming back, and we were just about to land at XNA. And I'm looking out the window, and, and you can already see the farmland, the fields, and the chicken houses and everything. And it just hits me. Oh, my gosh, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's the moment the angel said, okay, this is close enough. We're out of here. Right. <laughs> but they got me through it. <clears throat> they got me through it. And it was, yeah, and I could I could see instances where they helped me and guided me and led me. And uh, so it really, I think it, it was knowing where that courage came from and, and being able to just trust him. So well, over the last 20 years of this ministry, mm-hmm. where you, you make these, these trips, these very frequent trips over to India, what does that look like for, for somebody who has never been there, maybe just seen pictures or videos. What What is the experience like over there? Well, each time has been different. Um, my very first trip, I didn't even know what a person did on a mission trip. I just knew I was supposed to go because uh, there's a passage in, uh, maybe it's Habakkuk, where it says he stirred their spirits. They were stirred in their spirits. Mm-hmm. And mine was in a blender when I was sitting in that pew and he was talking about um, the people going on a short-term trip. Uh, my spirit was in the blender. I could barely sit there. And so I went up afterwards and thought it, it felt like stepping off a ledge. And, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> that very first trip, I didn't even know what was going to happen. I got a lot of stories about that. But like I said, we don't have three years to do this. Right. <laughs> but, um, and, but I, I never, <clears throat> even though I was, I was sure, I was, I w- it was made clear to me on that trip that I was 
exactly where I was supposed to be doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I never took it for granted. Every time I would pray beforehand, I would pray, Lord, how do I prepare? How do I prepare for this this particular trip? And every time it'd be something different. One um, time I got, all I got was, you're gonna learn to pray like you've never prayed before. And this was the first trip after 9-11 and so that was a little you know uncomfortable I'm like what what and but for like three months that's all I had was you're gonna learn to pray like you've never prayed before Mm -hmm. and I I did that was the first trip that everyone I encountered asked me to pray for them really and we saw we saw some miracles happen and uh, it's never happened since but that one trip, it was exactly what he told me. And so each trip, I, I do that. I pray, um, how do I prepare for this trip? And it'll, it'll always be something different. So after that first trip, did, did, that, just, did that confirm everything? That, that... Well, you're going to get me into the whole story oh, here. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get the whole story. On that very first trip... We were uh, riding on a bus somewhere. There was 25 of us on this trip. It was a two-week mission trip through uh, my previous church. And we were just sitting on a bus riding down the highway, and I was staring out the window not really thinking about anything at all. I wasn't thinking about anything. And I felt this bubble. This, it was like a, a, a literal bubble settle down over me, and it was the peace of God. And I had never, ever, ever felt anything that that strong, that peaceful, that real before in my life. And I knew, I mean, he didn't literally speak, but I knew when that peace settled over me that I was exactly where I was supposed to be, doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And I argued, because I do that, and I said, but Lord, I'm... I'm not a teacher, I'm not a nurse, I can't be a missionary. You know, I'm a single parent. And it's like he said to me, what, am I not enough? And I said, yes, Lord, yes, you're enough, you are enough. And so from that moment, from that moment on that bus, I knew that that's where I belonged. And so it was just waiting and waiting to see how that was gonna play out really I still didn't have a plan <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about the the people that you've met over there you you have uh, a pastor that you work, uh, work yes with. yes and it's been such a blessing I've had some I've worked with a lot of different pastors I've met a lot of people I know a lot of people and some are harder to work with than others some have been cold <laughs> if you want to call it that but this guy, he's he's fairly young. I think he's 40. And uh, I met him about 10 years ago when uh, I was, well, I'll tell you, when I started, I first started going to this particular area with the focus of the women. I first went in 2009 for a short visit, and then I went back for another short visit in 2010, and then I went to stay for six months in 2010 
and then the next year I was out of that little uh, I was staying at an ashram and the next year I went back and I got an apartment in town we call it a flat over there and my goal because uh, I was starting from scratch I didn't have anyone there that I was meeting with or joining I was starting this thing from scratch and so my goal every day when I got up I would get dressed and I would leave the the house and I my goal was to meet people and to learn things and so I which is all God that's all God because I was always really really shy and uh, terrified to talk to anybody <laughs> so this is another way this is another way that I know it was a God thing and so I would just start walking. I would just get out and I would start walking down the street and I would look around and I would be aware um, and I would try to find things out. And I learned, eventually I learned where all the charity hospitals, the charity eye hospital, learned how all the hospitals work, how you take somebody, how you, it's a completely different system over there. It's nothing like it is here. And I kept meeting people and I would meet people who spoke English, which is really, common over there because India used to be under British rule until the 50s and still to this day all universities are taught in English so if you can find somebody who looks like they've been educated more than likely they speak English oh, wow. so it's pretty easy to travel it really is um, and I would meet people and learn things, and I got acquainted. I got to be friends. I made a lot of friends. Made friends with the principal. Uh, I did discover that there was a church in Vrindavan, which is where I was. And then I went to Mathura visiting, and um, there actually was a Methodist church in Mathura. And the, there's a radio program. There's a, actually a couple of radio programs in based out of Delhi. One is called TWR, Trans World Radio, and they um, they make like little, I don't want to use the word cassette and date myself, right. but I can't think what to call it, um, of Bible study, Bible studies, and they translate them, and they provide little players that can be taken out into the rural areas the villages and and so people can hear these stories and there's also FIBA radio I forget what that stands for but it's you can google that too FIBA F-E-B-A and um, they were doing FIBA was doing a program at the Methodist Church there and somebody said hey go go meet them so I'm like okay and I went and he introduced me to this young man that he was mentoring who had been saved and I'm always interested in somebody who's been converted rather than born Christian <laughs> because right. I try to stress that there's no such thing there's no such thing as somebody born Christian but um he he was very nice very nice young man uh he didn't speak a word of English and at that time I spoke like five Hindi words you know so we really couldn't communicate but then the following year I had decided I was going to do a women's program and uh, I wanted to do a big women's program 
and I had met um, an, another church pastor. I had gone around and I had met the most of the pastors. Uh, we even went to the Catholic Church and, and introduced ourselves, me and the guy I was using as a translator at that time. So we planned this big program, and I I don't remember how I even contacted him, but somehow I asked him, because he worked out in the rural villages, which is really where my heart is, because I hate cities, and I said, bring some women from the villages. Well, he brought like a hundred women. <laughs> it was wow. it was a huge program with the ladies in town, plus about a hundred village women. And uh, so that was incredible. And like I said, over the years, people helping me or translators, they would come and go. I went through some that just didn't work out and I would pray Lord you brought me here this was you this is all you this is your ministry you've brought me here to do this you have not gifted me with tongues so that I can speak Hindi I try and try but it's just not I I I think I could live there 30 years and I would never be really fluent I, I have a lot of vocabulary, but I really struggle with the grammar. And I said, Lord, I, I can't say the things that I need to say. I need someone to, who can help me. And every time I would pray, this young man would come to mind. And I'd be like, no, 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 you don't understand, Lord. He doesn't speak English. <laughs> and so... You know, I should know better by now than to argue with God, but it's hard not to do it sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and re- seriously, for like, I went two and a half years without a translator at all. I can do your basic things. I could shop and travel and say, how are the kids? What's for dinner? Here's how to take your medicine. I can do basic things, but I just don't have the vocabulary to uh, share the gospel or teach a Bible lesson and so I was like you know I kept making friends and things but I was so frustrated and I would for like three years I would say I prayed who can help me who do you have to help me and he kept coming to mind and I'd be like no he can't do it he doesn't speak English and uh, then I ended up circumstances happened and I ended up coming back to Arkansas and I was so depressed I was so depressed because this wasn't where I was supposed to be this was not what I was supposed to be doing but you know what are you going to do and after a while I kept thinking about it and I thought I realized he doesn't have to speak English English is not what's needed the problem was I didn't speak good enough Hindi Mm. maybe just maybe it wasn't him to help me maybe it was me to help him and once I realized I could help him in his ministry everything changed everything changed I I had his email address and I reached out and I asked uh, if he would be interested in working with widows and he said yeah yeah he would and actually three months before that 
he had formed his own nonprofit NGO for social work, doing social work. And it gave him a lot of freedom to travel. And uh, I mean, without going into the differences of Indian laws and restrictions and everything, uh, it gave him a lot of freedom to move around. So let me let me ask about because if if I you know I'm American I've never been to India mm-hmm. what does the church as a whole look like over there It's not good It's not good um, The formal church there's there's um, the Church of North India the Church of South India there's the Methodist Church there's uh, I think there's actually there's some there's some Baptist churches too, but from what I've seen, the Methodist is extremely corrupt. I I hate stepping on people's toes, but that's a fact. Um, the one church in Vrindavan had six people in attendance usually, including the pastor's wife, and he was very very corrupt. He worked with the mafia, the local mafia, and did bad things but it was the only one there so the two or three families that were Christian they would go and I went because what are you going to do the pastor at the Church of North India that I also attended some he was a very good man but he was also very fearful of the social climate and everything Um, but Largely, they're corrupt as far as taking, requiring payment, like gifts. You have to pay them to get a post at a at the school, or you have to pay the bishop to get to do, for anything, and it's ridiculous amounts. And I don't even know if the church in Vrindavan's still there. It probably isn't because they were really, really bent on selling the property to the Hindus. Um, they just wanted the money and get out. Um, but there are also some non-denominational churches, um, like the churches. The pastor that I'm working with, he works in uh, 30 villages, and they're just house churches. It's people that have come to the Lord, and they start having meeting for church in their home. It might They might just start with two families or three families but they're all house churches and that's just the kind I love Um, during the pandemic when it was hard to get out and and uh, go around he he um, decided to start a, a vlog like a video Bible study he decided he was going to start with the book of Genesis. And I'm like, well, that's a choice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we'll be doing that for 15 years. Right. But uh, so he started a week. Uh, it, it's real random. It's not really scheduled, but I think he's up to about chapter 12 or 13 by now. But he had a he had a house church in Rajasthan contact him because you know he gives his contact information, and they had found him on YouTube, and that was so exciting for him. 
so exciting. So he drove like 90 kilometers to meet them. And, and then we went, when I was there, we went and, and had church and we did a medical camp while I was there. And um, that's how they come into the fold. <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't know. When I first met him 10 years ago, he was working in about 12 villages. That's where the 100 women came from. And now he's up to more than 30. So his work's growing. And when, when his work grows, mine grows. But I decided uh, what brought about this trip, I decided that, you know, he, his heart, he has the heart of an evangelist. And that's good. I don't fault him at all for that. But he's so busy. So, so busy. I started feeling like the women were being neglected just like they always are and um I didn't want to you know like like in the early church you don't want to take them away from the gospel to wait tables uh I decided that there's a reason the reason why God sent me because I'm a woman and I understand you know building the relationships and I, under, I have the ability to just sit and hang out with them. Let's have tea. Uh, how are you doing? How are the kids? That's something a man can't do in that culture. You know, people would talk, and they just they can't do that. And, and I think, honestly, the Indian man mindset isn't wired that way. And I knew that I needed a woman who could be me when I can't be there. And so I, my idea was to find a woman who I could train with this concept that these women are lonely they're alone uh, in India when a woman loses her husband she loses her value to the family uh, and to the community um, sometimes not all the time but the majority of the time she what the traditions have been what the traditions are she's not welcome at happy occasions she's not welcome at marriages or birthday parties or baby namings or anything that's happy because she's bad luck it's considered her bad karma that her husband died now if a man loses his wife it's no biggie he, he can get he'll just get remarried um hold, hold, hold that thought real quick okay But the culture is that uh, if a woman loses her husband, it doesn't matter what her age is. She will never remarry, and she is basically an outcast. There are still child marriages still happen over there, and a lot of, especially a lot of the elderly widows, they were married as young children. My very dear friend Gunga was married at age nine, and. Uh, I, I met one widow, she was in her 70s, but she had been married at probably six or eight years old, and her husband died just a couple years later. So from the time she was 10, and, and his family threw her out, her family didn't want her back. So she lived on the streets from the time she was about 10 years old, and she was in her 70s. She didn't have exact numbers, of course, because she didn't have birthdays, but... Um, there's a lot of that. And 
if they aren't thrown out, they're either treated badly, they have to do all the chores, and, you know, they're only allowed to eat once a day, and they have to sleep on the floor in the corner, and um, that they'll either be thrown out or they'll just leave to escape. There, there's a few that come to Vrindavan on their own because they are devoted to Krishna. That's their uh, one of their gods. Vrindavan is Krishna's hometown, and it's said that there's around 5,000 temples there, wow. which probably includes every... I mean, even the gas station might have a little a little uh, temple at it that includes every corner, roadside corner, everything. But it's a pilgrimage town. Vrindavan is probably got a population around 70,000, but they get 500,000 visitors annually to go to the temples. It's it's big business, you know, just think think Greece back in Paul's time. Um and so um I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm going down a rabbit hole. So let's 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 talk about um the spread of the gospel over there. Okay. With- well, I'll tell you the spread of the gospel is really tough. 20 years ago, what we would do would be we would go and we would, everything would be planned out for us where we were going to go, the villages we were going to visit. Everybody would have their own translator. We'd get out, we'd start walking, and we draw a crowd because they don't see foreigners very often out in the villages. And so we'd start walking, and you gather enough of a crowd, you stop and you share the gospel. Or, um, you go door to door and say, have you heard about Jesus? Can I tell you about him? And they're very hospitable. They're like, sure, come in, you know, tell me. And so um, that's what we used to do, but uh, that's not possible anymore. The, the social climate, the political climate has changed so much that even the people who used to do that aren't in South India, in South India, uh, can't do it down there anymore Be- because of political reasons it's too uh, risky it's too risky because if if somebody the Hindus are there's a militant vein of Hinduism that doesn't like that and even the political vein even back then it's like they have freedom of religion freedom of the religion you were born into but you're not supposed to convert unless it's to Hinduism you can only convert to Hinduism but you're not supposed to convert to Christianity or Islam or anything else Um, but sorry so are the the churches kind of more uh, underground type of of churches they're very they're not really underground the mainstream churches are not really underground they just behave themselves they don't step out of their lane. They're not evangelistic. They uh, they meet for service and they mind their own business and they don't draw any attention. And uh, still, like I met one wealthy man actually this trip who had converted. Uh, what do you say? Ten fifteen years ago, 
and he got fired. He lost his job. There's that kind of repercussion, and there's no consequences for it. It's not like he can go and say, you know, I want my rights. I lo- I was fired because just because I became Christian. They're just going to laugh at him like, why'd you do that for? <laughs> and so there's no repercussions. And the prime, the current prime minister is a, a very Hindu nationalist. And so I can't remember what year he was elected, but it's been several years now. But after he was elected, they were emboldened and knew that nothing was going to happen. Nothing's going to happen to him. So there's been a lot of um, abuse and harassment and violence towards uh, other religions, and people are kind of walking on eggshells a little bit more. And so it is changing. It's changed. You can't walk down the street and share the gospel on the corner anymore. You can't do that. Well, you could, but it'd be a real short ministry. But um, the North was pretty tough to begin with. The South, South India, there's most of the, there's only 2% Christians in India, and most of them are in the South. So there's very, 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 very few in the North. And um, like I said, most of the mainstream churches there just mind their business and stay in their lane. And But... Um, the way I think the reason that pastor's ministry has seen such the growth that it has and is because it's just house churches it's just a family you know a family accepts maybe their neighbor will accept they start meeting together in their house um, it is kind of like under the radar and uh, it just slowly grows 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 and spreads and they use the radio now uh, they have the radio programs they have the recordings of the bible lessons that they can they take and they give they'll find somebody who's willing to listen and they give them the little player that the thing <laughs> you know technology goes into that has the bible stories right and um they go back and visit and talk and uh, so there's technology um, plays a part and just visiting one-on-one and that's my plan with the women too because um, uh, you know I think about these elderly women the ones who they don't want a job they don't want to sew at a factory or somewhere and support themselves living on their own they've never that's that's such a foreign idea even to a 40 year old woman living on your own is foreign she was under her father's leadership and she was under her husband's leadership or his family's leadership and she can't even conceive of living independently can't even conceive of that and when i am the first time I in 2010 when I was staying at the ashram uh, it was a secular ashram um, in out just outside of Rundavan and they had a sewing training program all of the women who lived there were elderly well not all of them but the majority 
the majority were very elderly. We, there were women there who were like, I was told 105, 100, wow. 100 years old, they don't need a job. They need a place to lay their head. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of the women, not one single widow who lived there, took advantage of the sewing training program that was on site. It was only women who came in from the villages. Uh, and they were married. You know, they just needed to learn how to make some money. And, and I thought, I didn't go with any preconceived ideas about what I should do. I just went and I was like watching and learning and listening and thinking. And what ended up happening was I became aware of a serious lack of medical care. I met, there was one woman who was living there who fell, she slept and fell in the shower, but I, and they didn't take her to the doctor. She hit her head, she was unconscious for like a day. And I'm like, no, 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 you've got, but they didn't care. They really don't, they don't care. But I heard, the story I heard about her was that um, before she came there, the reason she came there was because she had been widowed very young, at a young age, and she had lived 40 years at this uh, temple ashram. I'll explain, ashram is the word for the widow shelter. Um, she had lived there 40 years, and one day she broke her arm, and they threw her out. They kicked her out because they weren't gonna provide medical care. Um, they, the temple ashrams use the widows just as a money, uh, like a cash cow. Uh, you know, they say to the, vil- the, the pilgrims who, who come, oh, look, we have widow shelter, give us money, give us money, and people give. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also, when a woman goes there to live, they take her ration card and her pension. They don't give it back. When they kick her out, she has to leave without it. Uh, They're not going to spend any money on her. Um, There was another woman who couldn't walk. She just scooted herself on the floor because I think she also had slipped in the shower. But anyway, she had, it was something that as a result of her injury, she was, she couldn't walk anymore. And so that was her lot in life. Uh, That happened all the time, all the time. And one woman that I had met there, she was walking back. She had gone to temple and walking back and she fell and broke her kneecap in half. Well, they weren't gonna take her to the doctor. So this woman, she was probably 50, about 50 years old. She wasn't gonna be able to walk anymore. I'm like, no, no, no. I threw such a hissy fit that I got them to allow me to take her to the hospital and got her surgery. It was so cheap. Medical care over there is so cheap. I mean, by our standards, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to buy a plane ticket the next time. It's so cheap. But when somebody has no money it might as well still be a million dollars plus they don't know they don't know anything and they're they're like prisoners and they don't even have the money for the t- 
taxi to get there. And so we got her knee welded back together. And eventually we became good friends. And she, at one point, she actually left and came to live with me for a while. And uh, then she ended up going to a government ashram that was next door to my flat and staying there, but we were still very, very close. And then um, she got cancer. And there's a there was a cancer hospital in Mathura that was charity. I didn't have to pay for the hospital. I still had to pay for the medicine and the weekly doctor visit. That's all I had to pay for. And so her six months of cancer treatment was really cheap, really, really cheap. I know where the the eye the charity eye hospital is. It's run by a German uh, Christian German church or whatever. And uh, it's just you just have to know and you just have to care. You just have to care. That's really you know we we're called to be different and that bar was set real low. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not hard to be different. It's not hard. And so um, that just kind of morphed into what direction my ministry took. I, I, I didn't see people begging for sewing training. <laughs> and I just saw the need and I, that's, that's the need that's gotta be filled. And even on this trip, like, um, I keep trying to tell myself, I keep telling myself my focus is women, particularly the elderly, uh, and, and they're the ones that need it, and they're the ones that are running out of time, because I think these ladies don't have time for us to be patient. They need to know Jesus, and uh, they don't have the time for us to tell Bible stories and, you know, hope they'll take a hint. We're, we got to be a little more direct and what i want what i want is for uh someone whose name apparently now is puja her name is puja she's the one helping me that i'm trying to train um to learn how to witness one-on-one and that's hard it's hard for people here to do and she's going to train the volunteers. She's the only one who's a paid staff member. And because this is full-time, it's full-time for her. And um, we're starting out small. Uh, Don't want to bite off more than we can chew because like I said, he works in about 30 villages and that would be overwhelming. We're starting with five. We're starting with five villages and we've got volunteers so my idea is for her to oversee and uh, kind of be the leader and for volunteer one or two women from each church each home church to volunteer to just keep an eye out for the women in their village the widows and and abandoned women because even if a man leaves his wife she's not going to remarry nobody's going to marry her She's damaged goods. And so um, they're going to call on them and, and, you know, how you been? And, and, the, and they'll have some place to go 
within their village that they know they can reach out to help and she's um she has a dedicated phone she's going to have uh they call them calling cards over there with the phone number the helpline number that they can give out and uh, so she's just kind of like the coordinator and so we're I taught her how <laughs> because I'm not a real doctor but I I do know how to check blood sugar and blood pressure and pulse ox and so we we did this as as a screening I want had been wanting to do it at the ashram our ashram because we have one um and it was good because uh, that first day I don't know how many we people we screened but in our ashram we found one lady who was seriously seriously in need of seeing a doctor for blood sugar and another one who seriously needed to see the doctor for blood pressure they were like oh my gosh I'm glad we got here today kind of high mm-hmm. and so we got both of them to the doctor we're not trying to be the doctor but just screen who needs to go right and so that has been challenging um plus we also picked up some um medical supplies your basic stuff like paracetamol which is like tylenol cough medicine um pain cream eye drops basic stuff like that um to have always have on hand and uh so what we're doing I know I'm rambling here, but (laughs) uh, what we're doing is with our medical training is screening. We're screening for those people who need to see the doctor. We can't take everybody, Mm -hmm. but there are some people who really, really, really need to, or they're not going to be around long. And that's, it's a big need and it's really, really appreciated. It opens a lot of doors. Um, it makes you a little more welcome and they don't really care what religion you are when you've come to help them like that and so it's a it's 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 cheating a little bit i guess but it it helps open doors and it gives you a talking point in in dampura a pastor's village i i want to say our village but i'm not there um there was a widow who there was a younger widow who had just lost her husband a month ago, a month earlier, and she had went to live with her, her widowed mother and her four kids. Well, we went and met her and she was very resistant to speaking to us. She was very angry. She wouldn't look at us. She wouldn't respond or react in any way. And a few days later, she was gored in the face by a cow it went up from her below her chin and up this way and loosened her teeth and it was and she cut her lip across here yeah and uh, of course she didn't have money to go to the doctor and so we took her to the doctor a couple of times and got her some antibiotics and he cleaned it up and, and got everything where it belonged and she she hadn't been she hadn't eaten in three days because she couldn't and so she was finally able to start eating and 
then the next time when we went back to visit she was a lot more friendly <laughs> and uh was glad to see us and everything so i mean it, it opens doors the medical angle of things it does i had one we had one girl who whose parents brought her there she was about 10 years old i think she was 10 and she had broken her femur about five days earlier and they couldn't afford to take her to the doctor well they did take her to the doctor but she needed surgery and that wasn't going to happen but they had brought her x-rays her one foot was a good three inches shorter than the other one because i looked at the x-rays and the femur was completely in two and it was like this and uh i didn't have to think twice about that i gave him the money to take her for the surgery because people had been generous before I left. And I'm like, what am I going to do with all this? Why, did, why do I have this? And I knew that's what it was for. So she wasn't a widow and she wasn't elderly, but I wasn't going to say no. Right. There's a lot. Sometimes that happens. You know, there's so much need over there. So much, so much need. And I can't, I can't always say no, but I don't think we're supposed to. You get faced with something like that. That's really, that's, you got to think like Jesus does in a situation like that. You don't have to think twice about that. Um, so I play a lot of it by ear. So I've got two, two final questions here. Uh, so number one, we talked about this before you went over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, the problems that the pastors are seeing over there is the rise of the prosperity gospel. Uh-huh. And, and they are continuing to fight against that. Can you, uh, for, again, somebody who, who doesn't know the climate over there, what kind of role does the prosperity gospel play over there, and, and why is that difficult? Well, there's a, there, there's a group of pastors who see the church as a, a way to create their own career I guess because jobs are scarce okay so unemployment is in double digits over there 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 might be a family of eight or ten people and only one of them has a job so you know all you have to do is say I'm a pastor and you've got an you've got a job (laughs) you can make your own job and you get some people coming to your church and tell them about giving and tithing and and giving to get back and you got you got a pretty good living coming Mm. um so there and i know a few of them i know a few of them their goal is to receive god's blessings in this lifetime Mm. and they don't care what it what the consequences are and so everybody is so poor we can't even comprehend we can't we can't comprehend everybody is so 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 poor um that that sounds good sounds good it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to explain why it's not good but i've been trying i've been working with pastor and uh I think that he sees, I think he sees, I think the, the people who are working with him are 
beginning to understand the the difference between trusting God. We trust God for our supply and our provision, but that's not the same thing as storing up our treasures here. Um, it's a it's a battle. It, it's not a one battle, but it's it's an ongoing battle. But there's a we just have to be keep trying, keep working at it. They actually, he told me that one of the mainstream prosperity gospel pastors from this country puts out his messages on uh, YouTube in Hindi. Mm. And I'm like, oh my goodness, don't ever, ever, ever listen to that. (laughs) And he's like, why? You know, it's hard for them to understand that somebody who claims to be Christian, maybe they're not being truthful about everything. They're just kind of like, well, he says he's Christian, so this must be good. Yeah. Um, it just still needs a lot. There's still a lot of room for a lot of teaching. So last question I have is, what, what does your involvement with India look like going forward? Well, right now I'm just trying to guide and teach and uh, – I, I send support for our ashram. I send support monthly. And um, I'm funneling funds for special projects. But mainly, I teaching, teaching and guiding and instructing and leading. And um, I'd still like to be able to go from time to time and just see in person follow up in person and they miss me they want me to stay there I told them three more years and I'll retire and they're like just live here then well I don't know about that is that an option for you um I could live there a lot cheaper than I could live here but I miss you know I have family so maybe I would never I tell you what I've been there twice in the summertime that will never happen again that's never going to happen again brutal I won't. I wouldn't survive it <laughs> again. But um, maybe in the winter, I might spend spend some winters there. <laughs> that would work. But uh, no, my goal though, because you know, at my age, I think about the future and I think what's going to happen when I'm gone. I don't want this effort to die with me. My next goal, like right now, we're in phase one, where they're learning to get out and meet people one on one and share witness to people one-on-one and uh, we have the medical uh, ministry and my goal the next goal is to figure out how to make that self-sufficient so that they don't need they don't need us thank you for downloading this freedom fellowship extra podcast our prayer is that this message helps you take what we learn in scripture and apply it to our everyday lives If you are looking for a church home, we invite you to check us out this Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We're located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com. Our mission here is to love God, love people, and serve both.